Hi, this is Anthony Ryan, and you're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast. You're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast, where your podcast for all things grimdark. I'm your host, Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. And we've got another episode here for you with Anthony Ryan, the author of the Raven's Shadow Trilogy. Kind of a staple grimdark author. Very cool to get him on the show. And a special thanks to Michael R. Fletcher for hooking us up. Got us the connection with Anthony. And it was a excellent conversation we got to have with Anthony, digging into his uh, path to publication, talking about the Raven's Shadow Trilogy and his newest series coming along, the Draconis Memoria. Uh, we also had a very cool blood magic lightning round with plenty of lightning round magical goodness. Yes, uh, definitely talking about blood magic is always on my list of fun things to do. I try to do that at least once a week. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Yeah, but definitely hearing about the new series was really interesting. Uh, I'm really interested in dragons and, and blood and you know blood-powered ships and all this kind of stuff, so... Definitely sounds like a cool series coming out soon. Yeah, this interview has cool story, bro, all over it. Uh, we went to lots of details on to Anthony's world building and, and stuff like that. So it was a cool conversation. The audio is just a little choppy due to Skype being Skype. So apologies for that. But it's still a great interview. Give it a listen. And then we'll be back at the conclusion of the interview to wrap it up. So here we have Mr. Anthony Ryan. Our guest today burst onto the fantasy scene with a blazing fantasy epic titled Blood Song. Though it took six years to craft the tale, when it was finally self-published in 2012, it was met with a flurry of rave reviews. Soon the Penguin Publishing Group caught wind of the fantasy novelist's success and quickly signed our guest to a three-book deal. The Raven's Shadow Trilogy was completed by Book 2, Tower Lord, in July of 2014, and Book 3, Queen of Fire, was released in July of 2015. Another short story in the Raven's Shadow series titled The Lord Collector was published as a part of the Blaggards Anthology this last April. In addition, our guest has authored a series of five novellas as a part of the Slab City Blues series, chronicling the story of Detective Alex McLeod, combining elements of sci-fi, cyberpunk, and crime noir. Our guest signed a deal for a brand new trilogy titled The Draconis Memoria, with book one, The Waking Fire, due out July of next year, courtesy of Ace Rock in the U.S. and Orbit Books in the U.K. And for those seeking a preview of this new story world, you can find the short story Sandrunners in the Legends 2 anthology dedicated to the honor of David Gamel. Easily a favorite amongst the grimdark community, Skyping all the way in from London, England, the Grim Tidings podcast proudly welcomes New York Times bestselling author, Mr. Anthony Ryan, to the damn show. Anthony, thanks for coming on, sir. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, it's a privilege to uh, get you on the program. Uh, I've got plenty of things to cover today. I wanted to first hit on the uh, the early success that you found as a self-published author. I, I think that many indie authors out there, we've, we've got a few that do listen to the show, it would be really a dream come true to release a book that's so fantastic that it finds the attention of a major publisher. Uh, the new movie, uh, The Martian, is actually based on uh, the popular sci-fi novel by Anthony Weir that also found success as a self-published title. Anthony, for those who may be first hearing about your uh, rise to commercial publishing success, can you tell us about your experience with self-publishing Blood Song and the uh, success that you found with the release of the title? 
Uh, sure, yeah. Um, I wrote uh, Blood Song uh, whilst I was, you know, still working full time, and I was also studying part time for a history history degree. Um, so that's why it took six years. Actually, six and a half years, but yeah, <laughs> give, give or take. Yeah. With rewrites, there was a, a. I spent at least a year rewriting it. So you know, it's five and a half years for the first draft, and uh, a year rewriting. Um, and I did, yeah, it's the usual thing. I did the sending out to agents, uh, querying and so on. I sent it to every agent in the UK uh, Writers and Artists Handbook, which they, they publish every year. And it lists all the, all the UK agents and so on. And I sent it to everyone that was listed as dealing with fantasy. And they all sent it back. It's, you know, it's the usual thing of collecting rejection letters. I'd done it before. I'd written what I have to say was a very bad crime novel in my 20s, uh, which yeah, I can't quite believe looking back that I actually sent out. But I did. <laughs> and uh, quite rightly, that was randomly rejected by everyone I sent it to. So I wasn't keen to repeat the process, but uh, I thought, you know, I thought with Blood Song, I kind of had something. You know, and after six and a half years, and I wasn't willing to just stick it in a drawer and forget about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so after collecting all the rejection letters, I thought this is just when uh, self-publishing is starting to blow up. Uh, it's 2011. Ah, uh, uh, yes, the heyday. Yeah, that's when it, the supposed gold rush, which yeah. personally I think was a bit of a myth, but the supposed gold rush really kicked off in 2011. And I thought, I'll give it a go. I keep seeing, I, by this stage, every time I was commuting into work, I'd see people reading Kindles, you know, on the train and so on. So I thought, why not? Let's give it a go. Uh, I put it up on Smashwords initially. Um, which wasn't distributing to Amazon at the time. In fact, I don't think it still doesn't. So it wasn't on the Kindle store for the first six months. And during those six months, it sold a grand total of five copies. (laughs) (laughs) But I did get a couple of nice reviews out of it, so that was something. Um, I actually started self-publishing with my my first Slab City Blues story, uh, which was a, I think, 8,000-word short story which is one of the few trunk short stories I had that I wasn't completely embarrassed by. Uh, so I put that up on Smashwords as a free download initially just to familiarise myself with the process and, you know, just to gauge the reaction, really. And the reaction was positive enough. You know, I got about 500 downloads in a couple of months and uh, some good reviews, people saying they liked it. So it sort of gave me the impetus to put up the blood song and see what happened. So, yeah, I'd sold my five copies, and then January of 2012, I put it up on the Kindle store. I wasn't really expecting much, uh, to be honest, but in the first month, I sold 20 copies. Uh, second month, it topped the 100 mark, and in the third month, you know, something like 2,500. By the time April hit, it just kind of exploded, really. And it was, I have to say, all word of mouth, though word of forum or word of email uh, I wasn't I didn't really do much in the way of publicity uh, it just kind of took off on its own merits and you know it was, it was May I think but I think by May I'd sold 10,000 copies or thereabouts nice yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I might sound blase about this but uh, <laughs> you have to understand I was uh, kind of taken aback by the whole thing it, it all happened so quickly you know uh, by May, Ace, then senior editor Ace, uh, which was then part of Penguin, 
was an hour apart Penguin Random House got in touch and asked if I'd like to have a conversation and that's the short story of how I got a publishing deal that's awesome when they called you to to see if you were, wanted to have a conversation was that your cue to to get an agent and then go have a conversation or uh, I didn't get an agent actually I'm in two minds as to whether I should have or shouldn't have uh, in retrospect I probably should have it hasn't had that much of a negative effect, but there's certain aspects of the contract that, looking back, you know, maybe it would have been better if I got an agent. I might well have got a higher advance, but I have to stress the advance I got wasn't anything like the Hugh Howey or the Amanda Hocking deal, you know, the famous yeah. <laughs> two, two deals that everybody talks about. Uh, it, you know, it was decent money, and it was over the average for a first book or a first series. But it wasn't, you know wasn't in the stratosphere like they were. So, yeah, once negotiations were underway, you know, it was a fairly smooth process, actually. And, and it was a pretty much a boilerplate contract. It was, you know, nothing onerous, particularly onerous or difficult about the whole thing. I think you answered one of the questions I had from when you said you didn't do much in the way of publicity when Blood Song first came out. You relied a lot on word of mouth. Has that changed substantially since you have now have a traditionally published deal? Do you do more marketing? Because I know marketing is something a lot of writers tend to dread or uh, mm-hmm. don't enjoy very much. Has that changed at all? Um, no, no. A great deal. I, I will do what my publicist at Ace tells me to do, uh, <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I've done some Reddit AMAs, that kind of thing. But the avenues for publicity for authors, not just, you know, ex-self-published authors, but any author these days, aren't huge. Unless you're already well-known, you're not going to get on television, you're not going to get on the radio. Uh, you know, my publicity mainly consists of doing blog posts and the occasional podcast like this. Not only a podcast, but the best podcast well, in, <laughs> in the entire podosphere. If, uh, I'm a little biased, but <laughs> that's just me. Um, so, excellent. <laughs> Self-publishing success, that's, that, that is uh, pretty awesome to, uh, to, to hear of, of your meteoric rise. It must have been uh, pretty mind-blowing just to see that number just of downloads just go up and up and up and up and up and just into the stratosphere. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, it was pretty much glued to the uh, <laughs> the sales dashboard on KDP for days on end, which isn't healthy. I don't, <laughs> I don't advise people doing that. It's not a good idea. Yeah, I've done that. Um, <laughs> I, I think it would be awesome if you could somehow find out who the first five people who were, were that bought your book because – they planted that seed of uh, word yeah, of mouth, for sure. I do, I do remember the first five-star review I got, which I'll always be grateful for, obviously. And, uh, yeah, it did come out of the blue. And I have to say, I'd made a lot of mistakes uh, as a self-publisher, which, you know, I cringe, I cringe about now. I didn't get the manuscript properly proofread. I should have done, you know, a plethora of typos in it. And I didn't get a, a, a professional cover, which I'd certainly do now. Um, I did my own cover, which the most charitable thing anyone ever said about it was, I've seen worse. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he must. Have, it couldn't have been all that bad because you know it, it sold. So. But yeah, if I did it again, well, I am still self-publishing with the Slab City Blues series, uh, and these days I get it proofread and I get professional covers. 
So then you released uh, Tower Lord, and then just recently you had uh, Queen of Fire released. So you've had your entire trilogy crafted, written, and released out into the world. How has the entire experience been of dropping that uh, trilogy into uh, readers' hands, and how has the uh, critical reception uh, been for the series, and, and, and what's the experience been like for you? Um, it's, uh, you know, been very positive all the way through. You know, it's been a lot of work. It's, you know, I've written... Uh, with the Draconis Memoria, first of that, the first series, uh, first book of that, I completed, you know, uh, in February, and that means I've written over a million words in the space nice. of three years. Yeah, so wow, it's a lot of work, and my hands hurt. <laughs> uh, 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 in terms of the response to the books, um, you know, the, as has gone on, uh, the response, as you'd expect, has become more popular, and is what I like to call the inverse popularity law. Uh, where the more popular you get, the more mixed the reaction to your work is. But on the whole, you know, the people who like my work continue to like it. So, you know, I'll, I'll happily admit that the Amazon reviews for Queen of Fire were more mixed than the previous two volumes. But Amazon reviews are Amazon reviews, you know. I, I don't even read them anymore because it's it's not a good thing for me to do. Mm. It's not just, uh, I don't read the positive ones or the negative ones, because I think you can get too you know, influenced, you know, about certain people like this thing, certain people hate this thing. You know, if you allow it to influence you, you'll, you know, you'll never write another thing because you just be worried about what people think of it. Uh, as a writer, you just have to follow your own course, I think. Yeah, I mean, if that your your trilogy here sitting on my on my desk, and that those are that's a that's a thick stack of books for that trilogy. I mean, is that just a proud thing for you to be able to have those three books kind of just decked out on your you know your 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 fireplace mantle, uh, <laughs> taking up space? I mean, that must be a, a an extreme point of pride. I know it would be for me. Oh yeah, it's uh, amazing. Really, I've got all the phone editions as well. Uh, so Very cool. Got quite a large stack now. What's the coolest foreign edition? Ooh, in your like, personal opinion, I don't like pointing at one because it might annoy the other publishers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we we found that, that Poland has some pretty sick covers. Poland, yeah, the Polish cover was great. I like the Czech cover and the Hungarian cover too. The uh, most spectacular were the uh, Taiwanese covers. They go full full out for paintings, you know, these big epic paintings. Very cool. So uh, we have some recent news that came out that's blowing up all over the place. Uh, Patrick Rothfuss's Kingkiller Chronicle is getting a shit ton of uh, adaptations. It seems like there's a TV show and movies and games and all sorts of stuff. If you could see your series adapted, what media would you prefer to see it adapted into? Um, At the risk of sounding greedy, all of them. (laughs) (laughs) I want the games. I want the board games. I want the card games. I want the graphic novels and the uh, animation and the movies. I will say there's been discussions with uh, people in Hollywood. Nothing's been formally agreed, uh, but you know there has been some progress towards an adaptation of some kind. I can't say what at the moment because it's all sort of under wraps, but it's possible it may happen. But I keep telling people not to hold their breath. I'm certainly not. A lot of people we've talked to have been big tabletop gamers or were involved in some sort of role-playing game. Did you ever get into role-playing games at all? I've never played Dungeons and Dragons in my life. Uh, oh, any other role-playing game. <laughs> <laughs> I may be unique in, that, uh, in this profession, but honestly, I never have. 
played a hell of a lot of video games. Okay, so what what video games are some of your favorites? Um, um, at the moment, I'm in a love-hate relationship with Bloodborne. Oh, I don't know if you played that. It's like being hit in the face by someone you love. <laughs> I've got to the final boss battle. I can't quite believe it, but I've, I've been on the final boss battle for the last week. So whether I'll ever finish it, I just give up. I don't know. Would you like to see a video game that's adapted from your stories to be brutally, brutally fucking hard like Bloodborne? Or would you like it to be a little bit easier? I wouldn't want it to be, to be up there. Um, I mean, one of my favorite games of recent years was The Last of Us. Um, oh, yeah. Which was kind of like an interactive movie, really, uh, with great gameplay. And it was at times very, very difficult. Uh, but it, the storytelling was really exceptional. And if I had to choose a favorite in recent years, it'd be that one. So if, if there was an adaptation of any of my books, I'd like it to follow a sort of storytelling arc of like, like they did with that. Let's talk Draconis Memoria. Mm hmm. It's your uh, brand new series, uh, Deal with Ace Rockets, uh, a trilogy, or are we uh, at four books for this new series? I will at the moment be a trilogy, but uh, I keep looking at what I'll need to do in book three, and that might bleed off. <laughs> it might just be too big for the printers, I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens, but at the moment it's a trilogy. And could you just give us a little teaser, kind of what's maybe the elevator pitch for this series and what can uh, readers expect from this uh, story world? Um, well, it's a secondary world fantasy. I've moved away from the medieval setting for this one. It's a mid-19th, it's a society at a mid-19th century level of development. So they have guns, they have uh, steamships uh, and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, it's a... Uh, because I'm writing it, there's a lot of war and intrigue, mixing various favourite genres of mine with uh, maritime adventure, uh, espionage, and uh, some weird West thrown in there for, for good measure. Uh, the basic premise is that uh, it's a world where dragons are real, but they're confined to one particular continent. And it's a world where corporations have basically taken over. There's only one sort of the sovereign monarchy still left, and they're the bad guys. The rest of the world is run by competing corporations, and the economy is underpinned by the blood of dragons, which certain individuals have the power to drink, and when they drink it, they can manifest magical powers. That's sort of the basic elevator pitch. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm really intrigued by this idea of using dragon blood for elixirs and to power big ass ships and all sorts of stuff so we recently talked to cameron hurley about bug punk which is kind of her version of uh, uh a bug powered world where everything is powered by bugs so you have uh people drinking dragon blood and you have a blood burning ironclad ship which sounds like the most awesome fucking ship in the world i think <laughs> Uh, I want to ride on that cruise. Can we can we get a can we get a ticket to get on that? Um, You'll have to wait for the video again for that. One. Ah shit. Well, I'll be uh, yeah. I'll be waiting in line for that. But um, are there any other things that we might expect from the new series? Like any other weird magic, or you mentioned it has a weird West theme. Could you elaborate on that slightly? Yeah. This well, the idea is that the. Drakes. I didn't call them dragons in the book, even though they are dragons. I called them drakes. Uh, it's just it, when I was writing the dialogue, the word dragon kept clunking, so I changed it to drakes. Mm. And it worked better. 
Uh, the idea is there are four principal types, breeds of drake, uh, greens, reds, blacks and blues. The blood of each type manifests a different magical power. So if you drink green, it makes you super strong and it heals a panacea, it heals all else. Uh, if you drink red, you become pyrokinetic. If you drink black, you become telekinetic. Uh, and if you drink blue, you become telepathic. But there is a mysterious fifth drake, uh, which no one's <laughs> quite found. And that's the basic thread of the story. Uh, no one really knows what the fifth as yet undiscovered drake, what its blood will do. So, yeah, and uh, the, uh, the sort of weird West element is there were these companies, uh, private independent companies of contractors who are like the old uh, buffalo hunters in the old West. And they go out and hunt down the wild drakes and harvest their blood and bring it back to sell it, basically. And uh, they don't always get along with each other. Uh, book one, uh, The Waking Fire, that's already written? It is, yes. Uh, set to release in July of next year 2016 yeah. 2016 uh how, are you uh, currently penning book two then i am on about ninety thousand words in so uh, hoping to finish by uh, well finish the first draft by february and deliver it in may hopefully so uh, do you work in tandem with your editor as you're writing it or you do you wait to have the whole thing put together and then send it off I wait. I don't uh, send them chapters. I, I uh, finish it and then I send it and then we discuss after <laughs> they've had a chance to read it. And so you, you signed the deal with Ace Rock, I, I presume. Are you, are you writing full-time at this point? I am, yeah. I went uh, full-time in at the end of 2012. It didn't really make a lot of sense to stay in my day job. It was the experience of writing Tower Lord that really convinced me because I wrote that one whilst I still had a day job and uh, frankly it nearly killed me. Mm. I was writing 2,000 words a day and working a day job. It just wasn't, <laughs> wasn't conducive to good mental health. So walk us through a day in the life of Anthony Ryan today, kind of an overview of uh, your daily uh, writing process. Um, I try to sit down at the computer by 10 a.m. I'll deal with any urgent correspondence and I'll try to get a couple of hundred words in before midday. I'll also try, I don't know, succeed to get out for a walk every once in a while. Uh, and then I'll come back and I'll try and crank out. I, these days I'm averaging about 1,300 to 1,500 words a, a day, partly because my hands hurt and partly because it's, you know, the books I'm writing now, are, it's a new world and I'm not as au fait with it as it was with uh, the world in blood song and tower lord and so on so i'm sort of finding my way as i go along so yeah it's about I'm averaging 13 to 1500 words a day are you using a scrivener or microsoft word or uh, yeah i use scrivener for pretty much everything these days um i find using word is a bit like wading through mud now scrivener is a hell of a lot easier to use if uh, you have to write creatively and you did a lot, lots of research for this new series, or is it just kind of coming together organically? Um, I did some, uh, some sort of pre-reading. Um, I read books on the Franco-Prussian War, which forms the basis of how armies fight in this world. Because they've, got, they've just invented breech-loading firearms and that kind of thing. And the Franco-Prussian War was the first war where that they were used in a large scale. So. Uh, and also some maritime history and economic history as well. But I also research as I write. I don't do everything before I start. And I imagine your history studies have uh, been a contribution to your to your writing? Uh, they're always a huge help. It's, you know, doing a history degree, mainly the way it helps is to give you a good background knowledge in history but also helps you with the methodology of you know how to research and uh, how to find out a particular facts relatively quickly but you know you know it's a vast subject and you're never going to know it all 
one thing that we tend to like to talk about and including uh, the history of the genre and, and the evolution of the genre is uh, this term grimdark that everyone loves and we love and uh, we embrace wholeheartedly and give hugs to and pat, pat on the head mm-hmm. pat on the head you're currently a judge in the uh, grimdark in grimdark magazine's grimdark battle off competition being that we've heard uh, so many different interpretations of Grimdark, uh, what is your personal stance on it? Do you see it as a, a more fluid genre that kind of can just come and go, or does it have a more solid meaning for you? I'm more fluid with it because what I'm like at the moment, did Conus Memoria doubt people would class as Grimdark? Some people class it as steampunk, some people class it as science fantasy, you know, and you can get lost in the whole labyrinthine maze of genres and subgenres. I don't consider myself, I am grimdark, I will never write anything else. You know, I write what I feel I, you know, am most connected to. Like most writers you'll talk to, I've got so many ideas, probably more than I'll ever be able to write down. So when an idea is, you know, ready to go, uh, I'll write it and I don't really care what genre it's in, to be honest. Uh, I may write a thriller one day, uh, you know, I may write a mystery. But as far as Grimdark itself goes, I mean, I've read plenty of it. You know, it's always interesting to think what exactly classif- is classified as Grimdark, you know. My own work with the, you know, the Raven Shadow series, on the Grimdark scale, I'd probably class it as a six or a seven. Uh, it's not up there with, you know, uh, R. Scott Backer. So, uh, Michael R. Fletcher, who I know you had on a couple of weeks ago, he, uh, with his first book, I mean, that's probably the grimmest of grim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually reading Beyond Redemption now, and yeah, it's, brilliant. It's, one the, it's, yeah. it's one of the darkest ones I've read, and it's really great. And yeah, I loved it. Uh, he actually connected us to you and said, hey, get Anthony Ryan on the show. We're like, fuck yeah, let's get Anthony Ryan on the show. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, tweeted back and forth with him. I gave him a blurb for Beyond Redemption. His, his editor sent it to me before it was published. And uh, I get, I do get sent quite a few thing books to read these days, and I don't always get around to reading them all, but this one I did. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of blown away by it. it was, uh, I mean, it's kind of fresh, I think. It's kind of new for Grimdark. You know, it's a new, whole new magic system, which, uh, and I like the fact you have to pay attention, you have to lean forward and work out how the magic actually works in it. It doesn't spell everything out, which, which I really liked. Hey, speaking of, um, you said you kind of just write what comes to you. Um, I downloaded one of the Slab City Blues stories and started reading it, and really, really love the classic kind of cyberpunk uh, style. Uh, I'm, I'm really into kind of fast, witty, sharp dialogue. That's one of the things I always look for in fantasy writing, but it seems to not always be present in all fantasy writing because uh, there still is this belief that there's a lot of info dumping or there's a lot of uh, various things that are staples of the genre. Are there any other fantasy writers you think are really well-known for a kind of punchy dialogue that immediately immersed you in the story? It certainly wasn't Grimdark, but uh, David Eddings. You know, that, actually, that whole series, the first series, is uh, the Belgariad, had a big influence on me. And one of the things I loved about it was the byplay between the characters. You know, and they, they, they did have this quick-witted, you know, uh, fast back and forth between the characters. Uh, and there was an uh, affection between them, you know, and uh, 
sort of genuine sense of comradeship, which, which I really liked about that series. In terms of others, I mean, dialogue-wise, uh, I've got a lot of different influences. You know, James Elroyd and the crime writer is a big influence on me. You know, my, my work isn't anywhere as dark as his, but uh, the way characters talk and the way he presents, you know, the story, I always really liked. Yeah, I think uh, uh, one other kind of uh, darker writer that does cyberpunk and fantasy is Richard K. Morgan, which I really love his stuff also. Oh, yeah, I should have, I should have thought of him, actually. Uh, his uh, uh, Takeshi Kovacs, he was brilliant. That's uh, really some of the best, certainly best SF noir written, I think. Yeah, I love to see a like a huge revival of cyberpunk, especially now that cyberpunk is kind of a reality almost. Is so we're getting oh, yeah, closer and closer. It would just be a contemporary novel now. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so the Slab City Blues series. Um, our listeners, some of them may not be familiar with that. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about the series and what in, what influenced uh, you to lean towards a cyberpunk tale? 200 years in the future, it's uh, set on an orbiting slum. Uh, the basic premise is that Earth has become dependent on minerals mined from the asteroid belt to power all the fusion reactors that power everything now. But they've kind of enslaved the workforce in orbiting processing plants to mine it all. And, uh, you know, about 15 years prior to... Um, like 10 years prior to the series kicking off, uh, the orbiting population has fought a war and gained independence, as, you know, colonial regions tend to do uh, throughout history. So they've formed a sort of uneasy peace with Earth. Uh, and my main character, uh, Alex McLeod, is a war veteran. He fought on the uh, the orbiting side in the war, and uh, he's a policeman on a slum, this orbiting slum called the Slab, uh, where he spends his time hunting down serial killers and insane not official intelligences and so on. One of the hooks of it is that they've, they've cracked the gene code, so in the future you can, if you've got enough money, you can look like anything you want to look like. So there are a lot of werewolves and vampires and elves around, uh, so that was kind of something I did to add a hook to it, you know. What would you be if you could uh, change change your appearance to anything? Uh, taller. <laughs> <laughs> would you be an elf? <laughs> Christ, no. <laughs> I couldn't stand the ears, I'm sorry. It'd be nice to you know, have wings like you know, uh, an angel or something. Fly off somewhere. I'd probably just shed, shed feathers everywhere, though, wouldn't you? It'd be a bit of a pain. Well, if I, if I had wings, I'd probably shit on people. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just fly around shit on I, people. Uh, no doubts that you would do that. <laughs> So Slab City Blues is a series of five novellas right now, and there is, there's also an omnibus version available, correct? Uh, well, it's four novellas and uh, one 50,000-word novel. Technically a novel, I think, if it's over 40,000 words. So there's four novellas and one novel, uh, an aria for Ragnarok, and that just uh, came out a couple of days ago. That's the last in the series, unless I think of any more, but I probably won't. Yeah, so I've sort of finished the series with that one. Uh, so, yeah, and put out a collected edition if people uh, want to check it out. Cool. So that series wrapped up. Or do, you, do you plan on doing any more hybrid publishing in addition to writing the Draconis Memoria? I hope to. Um, it's really a question of finding the time. Uh, I When I went full-time, I thought I'd have, you know, just this acres of time to write in. <laughs> 
Uh, and it just it just didn't work out that way. Um, I think people only have so many words in them on a daily basis. So, you know. uh, but yeah, if I find the time, I've I've got plenty of ideas for more science fiction. So you know, if, I, if I ever get time to write it, uh, I will. And you also have written some nonfiction as well. Could you highlight a few of the nonfiction pieces you've penned? Well, I wrote a you know an essay for the Penguin site on my you know journey to publication. I called it the Long Overnight. Uh, it's all about the myth of the overnight success, you know. Uh, so you can check that out on the Penguin website. I've got links to it on my blog. Uh, wrote uh, various things. I wrote uh, something on the uh, David Gemmel for the uh, uh, I think fantasy book critic site, uh, and uh, something on how to write battle scenes for uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but you can they're all findable if you go on my blog. I've got links there. So this is the uh, Grim Paddings Podcast Lightning Round. Today our special guest is... That was awesome. Today our guest is Anthony Ryan, and today is a special Blood Magic Lightning Round. That's right, we're going to give our guest Anthony Ryan uh, different versions of, of blood. And what he's going to do is describe for us in a creative, illustrative, and brilliant way what the magic system uh, or properties would be inherent to said blood thus spoken. Um, so... Our guest is Anthony Ryan, and today's special prize is 10 select bad crime novels. So, uh, Anthony Ryan, are you ready to get down with this lightning round? I think I am. I am. Yeah, I am. I want one of those bad crime novels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, this is the Bloodstorm Shitstorm Lightning Round. <laughs> it's uh, one of those storms that's over really quickly. Um, and I want to I want to mention to everyone uh, in my research for blood uh, that it's not a good idea to Google different colors of blood because uh, the the results are very disturbing. So please <laughs> please do not do that. Ill advised. Number one, Manticore blood. Manticore blood. Uh, you grow horns. That's it. You grow horns. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not very useful, but you do. Okay. Number two, unicorn blood. You grow another horn in a very. Uh, <laughs> a very embarrassing place <laughs> maybe a useful place i don't know okay number three blood of a random emperor uh if it's caligula you go mad obviously if it's nero you go mad but you're also funny <laughs> funny mad okay yeah. uh number four charlie sheen's tiger blood which was infamous during his winning period uh porn stars will queue up outside your house <laughs> Drink that every day, folks. Okay, <laughs> number five, Bloody Marys, the wonderful alcoholic beverage. Uh, I have personal experience. You fall over and throw up. <laughs> what a great magic power. It's amazing. <laughs> okay, six, uh, the anomaly of fruits, blood oranges. <laughs> you turn orange and you get a job on reality television or you run for president with really weird hair. <laughs> Oh, that's too close to reality. Yeah. Okay, number seven. Uh, the Predator's glowing neon green blood. Uh, invisibility and seeing in the dark. Okay, and the last one is uh, koala warlock blood. So a warlock who is also a koala. You sit in a tree, eating eucalyptus, get stoned, fall off, and eventually get up again. That's, that's the koala's superpower. Uh, I should lay off the koala warlock blood. Yeah. To sell. yeah. So don't mix Bloody Marys and koala warlock blood because you'll have a very, yeah, dangerous. Yeah. Leave that alone. Stay in school, kids. 
<laughs> okay, that ends the lightning round. Yay! Anthony, you won 10 select bad crime novels. Enjoy reading. I can't wait. should be pleasant. Well, Anthony, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the program. Uh, folks can look forward to The Waking Fire, book one of the Draconis Memorial series that is due out July of 2016 for folks who want to find you on social media where can they find you i'm on twitter at writer underscore anthony and you can check out my blog at uh, anthonyryan.net very good anthony ryan thanks so much for being a part of the grimdark community for writing badass fantasy fiction and for taking the time to hang out with me and phil and uh, having a good time today we appreciate it very much best of luck to you with uh, the new series and uh, thanks again for coming on the show yes thank you thanks guys it was a lot of fun and that wraps up our conversation with mr anthony ryan very cool for anthony to come on the show be sure to check out the raven's shadow trilogy and be sure to keep an eye on anthony for the forthcoming Draconis Memoria series. It definitely sounds awesome. We've got plenty of cool episodes on the way. Michael R. Underwood will be joining us on the 18th, so be sure to tune in and listen for that episode. Plenty more in store. Be sure to check us out online at facebook.com slash Podcast, or we're on Twitter. At GrimdarFiction. And we did want to dedicate this episode to our fallen comrade, Mr. Kenneth Rowan Ganks. He was a slush reader for grimdark magazine and unfortunately he did pass last week so in his memory we wanted to dedicate this episode to him and we do wish our condolences to his friends and family and we salute him for his contribution to the grimdark community and until next time stay grim stay dark and stay true we'll see you right here on the grim tidings podcast